what we call the cleansing of the temple, appears in all four Gospels. There's not that many things uh, in the story of Jesus that appear in all four, and they're obviously very different in each one. But this is the reading from the Gospel of John. This is what we've been given for the lectionary this week. The Passover of the, Jew, of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead... His disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. The temple was the figurative and literal centre of the universe. A huge structure. One of the largest buildings in the world at the time. Twice the height of the Peregrine building here, which probably means it'll be about the height of the one if they eventually ever get around to building. Huge. A little bigger, possibly, than half the size of our Parliament House. And if you've tried to walk around Parliament House in Canberra, it's a big building. The outer court was almost a full half kilometre long. This is a model of the temple that you can see in Jerusalem. Some of you who've had the privilege of going may have seen this model. It's outdoors and it's a scale model based as best as can be understood, mostly on the writings of Josephus, who was a a Jewish Roman historian uh, contemporaneous with Jesus just a a little bit past and, and into the fall of Jerusalem. So you can see how it dominates the city. This is the closer model of it. The Western Wall, which if you've been to Jerusalem, I imagine you would go to, it's the thing that everyone does, uh, is the the bit that's left of that temple. And some of it may be left from the first temple. It's still a bit unclear. But look at the size of it. Some of the stones are 100 tonnes. There's even a few stones that are 400 tonnes. This is an enormous thing. This is what it looks like at the moment, of course, because of the, uh, the mosque, the Dome of the Rock, that is in, in place of the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. But it still dominates the city, doesn't it? You can see why it wouldn't be difficult to imagine this being the centre of the universe. 
So when Jesus said, all right, tear this down and I'll build it again in three days. You can understand why they didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Of course they couldn't understand. Not only had it been being built for so many years, but they couldn't understand what Jesus was even doing, disrupting the system. This was the way forever that you got to be close to God. You came, you needed a sacrifice. The only way you could get a sacrifice was, uh, the only way you could make a sacrifice was to sacrifice an animal and that animal had to be clean and unblemished. The only practical way of doing that was not to bring one with you and all the problems that might happen on the way, but to get one when you got to the temple. So they set up a whole structure where you could buy an animal at the, at source and then it would be guaranteed to be clean and unblemished. You would have to pay for it with special money. You couldn't take the normal money everyone used, which was Roman money, because it had an imprint of the emperor on there and it kept saying the emperor was God, which is a problem when you're meeting the real God that the Jews believed in. So you had to change the money, so there had to be a money change. It was a pretty well-oiled system. It was a bit corrupt. In fact, according to Josephus, it was terribly corrupt. And the other Gospels pick this up. John doesn't seem to as much, but the other Gospels pick this up. You had to buy a small animal if you were poor, and if you were wealthy, you could buy a larger animal. That's why in the Jordanes band you could see an ox there and, and so on in, in the background. The whole system worked pretty well if you didn't mind a bit of corruption. And we're kind of put up with it, so it's okay. So if it's going so well... Why is Jesus messing with it? How could they understand why he would do that? They were so certain about the way the world worked and it worked pretty well. Everyone went to Jerusalem. Everyone tried to go at least once a year because that was the centre of everything. It was the centre of the universe. So the Jews, now we have to have a caveat here. When John uses the word Jews, he doesn't mean the Jews. If you're a Jew, you're in this. And because we've read it that way, there's the whole history of anti-Semitism. There's the Second World War. and So we have to be really careful. What John means is what could be described as the Judaizers or the temple sect, the people who ran things. And they just some for some reason that, that shorthand became the Jews. But of course it's nuts because Jesus himself was a Jew. The disciples were all Jews. So we need to define it so we have to be careful when we read that and it's always good to remind ourselves that what we mean here is the temple sect those who ran the temple the temple was the centre of the universe it was on Mount Moriah and Mount Moriah is where the Jews believed Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac until he was called off by God it's the, the place that the Jews believed God gathered the dust and made the first human it's the place where David built the brand new capital of the finally united nation. It didn't stay united for very long under David and his son Solomon. But that was the golden age. That's where it began and that's where David, who really understood political symbolism, built the capital. It was the centre of the universe. Of course this is where God was. The temple and only the temple is where you meet God. It's the cultural, religious, political, social, literal centre of everything. Of course they couldn't comprehend that Jesus would not disrupt it 
but seek to dismantle it. Jesus in John's Gospel doesn't say, as he does in the other Gospels, you have made my father's house. My father's house should be a den of prayer, a, a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. It's a great line. So clean it up. Less corruption. Let people come, and the poorest of the poor should be able to worship as well as the richest of the rich. Fantastic text. Fantastic understanding. Equality. But John doesn't do that. John says, get all of this out of here. He just, none, you can't get your animals here. You can't change your money here anymore. It's all gone. And if you can't do that, if you can't take an unblemished animal to sacrifice, you can't sacrifice. If you can't sacrifice, what's the point of the temple? Jesus is saying, let's dismantle the whole thing. No wonder they couldn't. How do you comprehend somebody dismantling the centre of the universe? It's like finding yourself from a different family. It's like the poem that we read. It's like Superman. The best bit of the Superman story when I was a kid was the bits where he was a kid and he was beginning to discover that he was different from everyone else and he wasn't... He was obviously more powerful and all those other things, but, but he was also different. And he, of course, later in the story, as we already know, he discovers that he's uh, a superhuman person from another planet and he's living in Smallville. You know what I'm talking about, right? You read Superman. He's been around since 1938 or something. Um, he's from somewhere completely different. He's not from here. He's not from there. So his entire understanding of what the centre of the world is and the centre of his life is completely changes. It's like discovering that gravity is suddenly a thing. I've lived my whole life with gravity long before I started to pay attention in small moments in school and understood what it was called. Gravity doesn't mean anything until an apple falls on your head, does it? And you start thinking, well, it doesn't mean anything until you see somebody in space in, it doesn't have any, and they're floating around. Or till you discover that in a black hole, gravity apparently, as far as we can tell, doesn't actually operate. It's not really universal. It changes the kind of whole meaning and purpose of the universe. It sort of puts everything on edge, which is how I read the William Stafford poem. It's a kind of edgy little poem that kind of disjoints and everything has changed. Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. What on earth could that mean? This is the temple. We know what the temple is. It is the universe. The centre of the universe, according to Jesus, has shifted. It is not that God cannot be encountered in the temple, in the normal traditions, the way. It's that God can be encountered everywhere. What if you ran an electricity company? And you discovered that there was a technology that people could put bits of plastic and glass on their roof and make their own electricity. How do you charge for electricity when it's free? That's exactly the problem that all of our electric companies and our governments has, has at the moment. Because you and I, if we can afford it and if we can get the right things together, we can make our own electricity. The centre of the, of, the, of the world of making electricity has shifted completely. It will never go back to one electricity company doing one thing at Port Augusta and then piping it down to us. We'll never do that again. This is what's happening. The centre of the universe is shifting. Now God will be encountered, Jesus says, in me. Jesus. 
And then, if you read the rest of John's Gospel, God is, uh, Jesus is saying, God will be encountered not only in me, but in you. You motley crew of disciples. Not only in you, but the great unwashed who keep turning up and listening to me. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the poor, the lepers. God will be encountered there. If you don't have a headache when you're running the temple structure from this, you're just not thinking about it. John's Gospel is constantly about all of us. This is the revolution. See this temple? None of this is needed anymore. And if it goes away, it won't make the slightest bit of difference. Of course, it does go away. Only 50 years later, around, it's completely gone. The centre of the universe completely goes, and those who ran it, mostly in the group called the Sadducees, disappear from history. We never hear of them again. They completely dissipated. Not only is none of it needed, but worse, it's getting in the way of people in having direct contact with the divine, direct contact with the energy and meaning of the universe. It's not a system that needs reforming, it's a system that just has gone. We don't need to rejig the power station of Port Augusta. It just, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense anymore. We're doing it differently. It's all done. We still find this difficult because we have set up our whole temple systems. We don't call them that, but it's the same thing. We've set up rules for what you must do and what you must not do if you're going to be in contact with God. Most of us grew up in in a, a church structure, whether or not we went to church, but a church structure that existed that was pretty clear the things you weren't allowed to do if you were going to be a good Christian. You have to believe certain things and do certain things. We've still got that structure. The Uniting Church is tearing itself to bits over a doctrine of what we should do about sexuality, particularly sexuality that has to do with same gender. We've torn ourselves in half. We keep pretending we haven't, but we know that we have. So much effort goes into who's in and who's out. We've set up whole systems. What if Jesus is saying... This is all gone. Everyone, everyone is filled with the energy of God. Everyone is filled with the energy of the bright sun that Psalm 19 talked about that we read. It's almost impossible for us to believe, particularly if we've grown up in the church, like it was impossible for those people to believe who ran the temple, that we already are filled with the light and love of God. There is nothing that is required to do. doesn't mean you don't do things of great joy and service to each other, but they're done from a different point of view, aren't they? You know, there's that aunt that you have to go and see when you're a kid, and you have to kiss her. She smells a bit funny, but you have to kiss her. Then when you get a little older and you meet someone that you're falling in love with, you don't have to kiss them. You do, if you're lucky. Don't you? And if you're lucky, you keep doing it, and who knows what happens. It's the same activity, but every... It's it's almost hard to imagine you could use the word kiss for the fusty old aunt or uncle uh, who smells a bit of brandy, as one of mine used to, um, 
And I've never drunk brandy since. I just don't like it. Like it I reckon that's why. Anyway, um, they said, how could you use the same word for that kiss and that kiss? But we do, but we know it's not the same. We are all heirs of the universal energy and oneness that Psalm 19 is talking about and then Jesus is bringing into being in John's Gospel. You know how John's Gospel begins, don't you? There's that little prologue, the little hymn that's the beginning and then there's this great story of Jesus turning water into wine. Everything is turned into something new and wonderful. It turns a wedding on on its head. And we need to interpret the rest of John's Gospel in that light of that story. You are in this moment and all the great unwashed, all the people you love and the people you don't like, all the people who have paraded such horrendous rubbish to us from the federal government in the last week, all of them are filled with the energy and love of God. And that's the world in which we live. No wonder we find it hard to accept. The reason I find it hard to accept most of all is not that God could not live and dwell and give energy to Christian Porter. It's that God could do that to me. I don't know Christian Porter, but I know me. And that's a tall order. But that's what it's saying. That's what Jesus is doing. And that, my last thinking about this this painting is that it's such a big table and I wonder whether what's going to happen is Jesus is going to keep pushing and it falls flat and the world opens up. That's what I think anyway.